Yo, it feels good to be back. I've been absent from this uh, crew for a couple weeks. I've been, I just spent a, a week in Hawaii with my uh, lovely family and friends, and it was nice to be out of the country, but I'm back. I love traveling internationally. You know what I mean? It's a joke, get it? Because Hawaii's really a state. Yeah. But I, I, kept, <laughs> I, I kept making the joke to my wife, and she's like, she thought I was serious. She's like, dude, we're in, this is America. And I'm like, I don't recognize this as uh, American because the imperialism and the, you know, stealing the, the native lands from the Hawaiian people, I just think it's a travesty. So, anyway, we're back. We're ready to go. Jason. What are we do? What are we talking about today? Because I, uh, I I was gone for this interview. Right? Yeah, you were. We're talking about Revelation Records number forty one, the Civ Set Your Goals LP, released in nineteen ninety five on Lava, a division of Atlantic Records. But it's got a star, so here we are. Did, Rev did the Rev did the vinyl in full. Yeah. Did they say or do you know when this? Like what? Uh, okay. Released in October 1995, which okay. which is also wrong. That's not right. Wikipedia was it? Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Saying? Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent wrong. I bought it. It came out in the summertime because okay. I bought it right right before I went back to school. So that's what I was trying to get at. Is like where I was at when this came out. So this because- was summer, late summer '95. And is this the year that everyone went on warp tour also? Was that 95 yeah. or was that 96? Yeah, okay. So I was there and saw them at that warp tour. But by summer of 1995, I was like a hundred percent on my own as an adult, like not living with any parents or anyone. And I was just a freewheeling crazy hardcore kid. And so I don't really remember this coming out in like i don't i don't have a memory of like getting it real time but i just kind of remember it being there if that makes sense like i don't remember when it was born but i remember it being a child oh wow i mean i got it in real time i remember taking it home and just being pumped because i thought it was going to be gorilla biscuits part two which it kind of is but i definitely was one of those people that compared it to start today Mm -hmm. i hadn't heard start today like i said you know, I think during the interview. You got so this first. for me, I only knew the seven inch okay. biscuits. So this was like so so different to me that it didn't it, it didn't even warrant comparison. I didn't hear start today until probably the next summer. Okay. Oh, wild. Well, you know what, Greg, as they say, you don't gotta prove it to anyone. That's right. Um, you know what? Before we get too deep into the Civ talk. Do we have anyone that we need to shout it? Shout it. Oh, hey, yeah. Jason, let's start with you. What do yeah, you got? I do. Uh, so I checked out that uh, there's a podcast called Spinning Out that Greg mm-hmm. was on. And there's a two-part episode on the Set Your Goals LP with oh. uh, our friend Sean Rohr from 6131 Records. So if you're looking for more podcast content on Civ, check that out. And also, of course, the uh 100 words or less podcast with ray harkins and the um axe to grind podcast with walter a bit of boda 6131 uh joey cahill is actually a, a supporter 
uh, of our podcast and of my label contraband he orders stuff frequently and he has a record store in massachusetts oh my god now, it correct? looks so cool i was just gonna say he what a cool guy he um yeah want to hear records and they always post their uh like new used arrivals and it's like just straight fire almost mm. every time like they just get some insane collections um, they have really good prices. Like, uh, I, I think, um, I've actually gotten a couple things online and I believe they sell some stuff online, but, uh, yeah. And their, their Instagram to follow and see these drops, which again are like pretty sick. It's wanna hear it records on Instagram. Um, and yeah, they're located on Seven Main Street in Watertown, Massachusetts. I would love to get up there. Um, and I think they're actually going to be carrying the. Uh, they're going to be one of the people that will have the One Up discography LP. Nice. You oh, should nice. sign some of those before you send them <laughs> in. Uh, the six one three one house was originally. I don't know if you know this. The number six one three one was their address here. In uh, I believe in Huntington Beach, but it was in Orange County, very close to where I live now. And they had couches set up like stadium seating. So they had a couch on the ground and then they had another couch set up on uh, bricks so that they could watch baseball games. Uh, They're all very avid sports enthusiasts and hardcore enthusiasts. And, you know, our some of our tastes of hardcore may have differed you know greg bacon was around that time he was in bands like first step and betrayed and impact and Carry then, on too, right? yeah, yeah i don't know yeah and then um my good friend bo thompson used to hang out there a lot and people like that ray harkins uh and they always just kind of had like gatherings for holidays and to watch games and stuff and I would take my kid over there and hang out. And it, I just have some really fond memories of hanging out with the 6131 yeah. crew. So bit at bow to everyone at 6131. And uh, and actually, this is cool because um, I actually am friends with and have known Joey's wife, Nicole. But, you know, before I, I don't know if I ever met uh, Joey in person or friends online. Um, I would obviously love to, but Nicole... Um, you know, she's the twin sister of dance floor, Justin, you know, from oh, wow. mental and, and basically every band in Boston in the past, you know, however many years. And I'll give her a bit of bow. I know she loves her and Justin love, um, into another, which we're not doing today, but that's coming up. So I figured that maybe they'll want to listen to the into another next next time right next, next time, time yeah another. next time yeah. greg you got any uh shout outs um one to shout out uh ken and rob from the sloan cast podcast i uh, got to chat with them uh recently about the uh sloan they do like a set they did a digital only release of this ep of like all hardcore covers um where they're like and the, the covers like them posed on the discord steps you know reenacting the minor threat it's one of the better reenactments i've seen you know a lot of people like reenact the photo like i had to double check i'm like is this photoshopped and it's not um but 
the cover ZP is cool. They do like minor threat, black flag, circle jerks, seven seconds, gray matter, angry Samoans and the nils. I think that might be it. I might be forgetting something, but um, we talked about like hardcore and Sloan and the connection and uh, they're Canadian guys. They're super cool. And uh, you can listen to it on the same spots where you listen to us. So check it out. I just want to give a bit of bow to Carlos at No Echo. Uh, he's been very supportive of my new band's release. He featured us. And then I texted him about something else. I was like, hey, you this band that I'm thinking of. And he just sent me a link to a story that No Echo had already done about it. And I feel like that's been happening a lot lately. Every time I think about a record or, you know, we've featured a few records recently. And if we have to look up anything about it, there's already a story on no echo. So uh, everyone should check out noecho.net If you can, if you have the means become a Patreon supporter. Um, we also have a Patreon. I don't know if you knew that. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you knew, but uh, there's lots of cool stuff that you can get. If you are a patron last month, we had, probably a good two hours worth of bonus material that you could only get if you're a patron. And this month there's already been one Patreon only episode. So, you know, what? if you, if there's an artist or a label or a podcast or a video channel or something that you enjoy, chances are right now they're going to have a Patreon and that, support really does help not just financially but also emotionally uh, and yeah, good um, point. It, it, it helps to know that people care about what you're doing it helps the artists it helps like validate them and unfortunately humans need that validation so anyway not to get too deep into it but no echo patreon where it went yeah. patreon <laughs> where can people check out godhead uh, Godhead is available now on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, iHeartRadio, <laughs> Pandora. And if you want to purchase digitally, you can purchase directly on Bandcamp. I think it's like godhead.hc on Bandcamp. And then we are making physical copies soon. And we've. it's funny because I run a record label or a, a label and people have reached out to us and been like, Hey, I'm interested in working with your, your band. And I'm like, well, can you do something that I can't do? You know, that's kind of been the, uh, I, I can, I have the capability to make cassettes and shirts and distribute and all that stuff. So if someone's going to sign my band, I kind of need it to be a little bit more than I'm capable of doing. So, um, if anyone wants to sign my band, go ahead and just, uh, email us whatever on Instagram. So, uh, anything else we need to take care of before we dive into set your goals? Check no, out Lotus Tattoo, cool. yeah. where Siv works, and you can get tattooed by him. And if there's conventions again in the future, and Siv is guesting at one of them, you should definitely get tattooed by him. And tell him to come on the show. Tattoo. <laughs> Go get a tattoo, and while you're sitting there, <laughs> make small talk and say, yo, why didn't you talk about Star Today? Why didn't you talk about Siv? The people want to hear you, oh, man. Yeah, there's an, uh, I was shouting out podcasts. There's another tattoo podcast called No Lies, Just Bullshit. Siv was a guest on. Great podcast, 185 miles south, of course. Bit of bow. 
All right, let's get into the interview. Kick it. All right, now this song is about, you know, you know when you just get like a really bitchin' haircut? Like this. Like, that's a fucking good haircut. You shave your head, you get a new good pair of fucking boots, and a lot of people who just don't get it, yeah, like this, you get some tattoos, and there's a fucking bunch of people in this world who just don't get it and don't know real style like us. Every day, and they just say, you know, where the, what the fuck did you do with your hair? What the fuck is on your arm? What kind of stupid shoes are those? And you just want to go, fuck you, you stupid fuck. So this one goes out to you if you want to say fuck you and you never can, because you ain't got to prove it to anyone. What's up, everybody? We are here today to talk about Revelation 41, which is the uh, Civ Set Your Goals album as well as the two accompanying singles. There was a Can't Wait One Minute More and uh, All Twisted lumping it you should, all together. You should start this one with like marching goals, like bam, bam, bam. <laughs> Javier, take note. <laughs> yeah. So, so we are here with our old friends, uh, Sammy, Arthur, and our new friend, Charlie, uh, from the band Civ. What's up, guys? Welcome. What's up? So I guess I'm trying to think of like, you know, I was trying to think of the best way to, to start off with Civ because there's even though Civ was a big band, there's still like a lot of mystery for me. Like the fact that I know Rev has all these as one catalog number, but the singles definitely came out first. Like I remembered the Can't Wait One Minute More, which actually has a copyright on the inside of 1994. And then on the, the yeah, there's a reason itself, for that. Yeah, it says 95. So like Talk a little bit about, like, I guess the genesis. So Gorilla Biscuits ends in 92. We talked about that uh, with you guys before. And then, Sammy, you're doing uh, 32 Tribes, right? At, at, in I was doing a band called... Uh, uh, Engine? I was doing Engine. And Engine okay. was starting to kind of, like, do, do sort of well. And we had, like, demos. And there was some labels that were interested. And it was kind of happening. And then I think... Let me just to jump in and... Uh, to back it up a little bit too, I think when Grill Biscuits was sort of like towards the end there, there were some new songs that were floating around and there was some talk of a record deal with, um, I think it was In Effect, maybe that like, there was actually like a contract. I think I remember seeing it from, pretty sure it was In Effect. But anyway, there was a couple of songs, which one we called Cowboy Song, which ended up being Sausages later on. And there's a couple tunes. And so like there was some Civ stuff happening and then Civ, I mean, there's there some Grill Biscuits stuff happening and the Grill Biscuits basically broke up and there was sort of, uh, you know, this moment in between. And I, and I think Walter was doing quicksand, but really like just the idea kind of came, Walter and Charlie were living together at the time. And I think there was this idea that really came from Walter of just like, damn, like Siv is such a great voice. He's such a talented dude, like the person. Um, he should be playing music and, you know, we should do, and he's, and Walter had songs and let's do something we'll call it Siv. And it's basically for people who are into Gorilla Biscuits and then, you know, it's for them, but it also could be for other people. Um, so it was sort of like this concept that I think like he and Charlie and then myself and Arthur kind of got looped into. And it just it really came together in my from my memory pretty quickly. And, you know, it really started with the two songs with Etsy Brute and Can't Wait a Minute More. And uh, I remember going into Don Fury's and recording those two songs 
but also recording um, that tune. What's that? Who is the band that did uh, Young Love? That's what Young Love's all about. Government issue. Government issue. We did a government issue song, which Siv never sang on, but he did sing on Etzer Brute, and he sang. Oh, on- from from um, the U record. Yeah, we did a government issue. We did a government issue cover. Oh man, I would love to hear that. <laughs> that was like the first session, and then out of that session came um, "Can't Wait a Minute More" and "Etzer Brute," and I think the idea was like to just kind of do singles, like sort of in the way that like the British you know, singles would just sort of drop and, and treat them all like these fun art projects. I love that, Arthur. That's his second. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, also, then, I, I think the general start was Walter, you know, at one point I think he was, you know, we can't, I'm not doing Gorilla Biscuits ever again, like this or that. And he had, he had the idea of, you know, just starting it because he didn't really want to do, he was fully doing quicksand um we were living together and i was touring with quicksand and yeah the idea was just like i have i have this idea for these songs and sit and like like sammy said like just started off as like a cool kind of project and trying to rope like sit back into it and um you know when he sat there and he started playing cat one minute more i was just like this is gonna be fun <laughs> and then we got together with sammy in his studio and i think that demo is i think it's on something like that you can hear it's walter basically just kind of scatting it, singing it, um, as he's coming up with it together. Uh, I was on the bass and I was in the, in the studio and then, and then we can get into just how, yeah, like once we recorded it and then Mike Gitter and it just the whole thing went. <laughs> a lot of it too was the video. I think there was our friend, Marco Siego is a, a video director and now he directs TV shows and all this stuff. But I, there was, um, Recorded the seven inch Revelation Records. Cool, we're gonna just do the seven inch on Rev. That was the plan. That's it. And then there was this idea to do a video. And you know, Mike Gitter, who was at Roadrun at the time. Oh no, sorry, he was Atlantic at the time. Um, you know, he was he came down to the video shoot, and we had a lot of friends. You know, Toby A. Shore, you've seen the video, can't wait a minute more. There's a lot of people there. Um, and we cashed a lot of favors, and Marcos really kind of went the distance and did it on the super cheap for us. And we went to what was that studio, Sterling? Oh uh, no, Silver Cup. Silver Cup, like on a weekend. Wait, I'd like to interject here. If I if I remember correctly, I think Marcos really did the video. He had the idea, and I think he was doing it basically as like a um, as a as a video uh, resume, right? To get into bigger things. And he and I know he called in. He said I called in every favor and got the studio to, the studio for nothing basically. And I think it, it, yeah, that so it was like he was he had the, he was going to use the video as as like to send to people as as kind of his his CV. If, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. I think that video just was ripping, man. And that, along with those two so songs, and specifically Can't Wait a Minute More, Mike Gitter took it to his people at Lava Atlantic, this guy, mm-hmm. Jason Flom, who ran that label, and they signed us. And they um, and the kind of words started getting out with that song, with Can't Wait a Minute More, and radio stations started to play it. And he had like this weird scenario where he almost like had to tell radio stations don't play it yet because the record's yeah. not ready. So we were like kicked into like super speed mode of we have to write an album. Like we, the song is out radio stations, K rock is playing it, you know, whatever, like all these stations are playing it. And we didn't have any album to, and they, and they had MTV on hold too. MTV. They were just like, don't play this. Don't play this. Don't play this. And remember what was the band from, I think they're from Ireland. They had a similar video. And um, what the hell was that, that band called again? And I know they had, there was another band that had a similar talk show video and they, and MTV wouldn't play their video because they were, they wanted, they preferred ours. 
So they right. Remember, was, do you guys remember what that other band was? I do remember there was three other bald dudes at the time on MTV, and that we were <laughs> only one. Was, you're only allowed one bald dude. Yeah, President of the United States of America. I think Goldfinger. Yeah. Um, Michael Stipe was bald by then too. So yeah, but the uh, so we just scrambled into like, and you know, we need to make an album. And Walter was, I think, on tour with Quicksand. He was just mailing cassettes to us. Just yeah, like, here's a cassette. Here's a cassette. Here's a cassette. Yeah, we're learning it. Yeah. I was on I was on tour with Quicksand, so Walter and I were like in hotel rooms, like going over riffs and stuff, and just like yeah. just piecing it like together. So we, you know, there was definitely a couple of riffs that was just like, oh, no, this. Okay, cool. I feel you like know, it came like, together like in a month, really, and we just you know <laughs> pretty much came back and we just fucking rehearsed, and the next you know we went to Don Fury's, and it was cool because we had this sort of like Atlantic Records budget, so we were able to just kind of lock out Don Fury's. And Lombardi's Pizza, like, had just sort of opened <laughs> over there. And I just remember, when I think about making that record, I remember getting a fucking giant pizza yeah. every day and just going down yeah. there and, and laughing our asses off. Like, yeah, yeah. Jokes all day. Charlie, so, I remember. You guys remember, the garlic Guinness? remember the Guinness? Remember, remember we, had, we all had a little too much Guinness doing the background vocals and Walter started slurring? <laughs> I can't speak. <laughs> remember that? Oh yeah, there was a lot of that. Like, speak. Uh, so, um, were there vocals on those tapes that were being mailed to you to check out when you and Char when you and Walter were putting those together, Charlie? I don't remember vocals. Okay. I don't. No, I don't remember vocals. I mean, I just remember being with you know Walter does his uh, his method. But like, what does he do again, Sam? Front of front like shaft, shaft, shaft. Front of front us. You know, they might have had yeah, elevators and stuff, but I do think that. Uh, the, the initial cassettes, if I remember, probably were just music, but I'm sure, you know, the way Walter writes, like he probably had ideas and stuff. Um, but that all came together, um, you know, and then like, yeah, we just sort of had really like a lot of fun with it. And I think, um, you know, like you, you start to piece it together, like you got Etu Brute, you got Kayo Minamore, and then he built off of that and like do something is such like a sick fucking hardcore tune. But the United Kids kind of leans a little bit more where, you know, where we were kind of really into like this new space of like, I guess it's like oi or like British pop or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, I think, you know, we probably, I think Walter felt that we could pull that off, you know? And yeah, Walter uh, was, in yeah. interviews had said, uh, I remembered seeing you said it was like minor threat mixed with Sham '69. I was gonna say Sham '69 was that that was that was, Kids United was all um, of just a, a nod and and a wink to Sham '69. Everything about that song, yeah. I mean, Kids United, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was fun. I was listening to uh, that song "New York" by the Sex Pistols the other day. I think that was one of the last songs that he wrote, and we were like, you know, we need a song like this, and that was sort of what inspired that uh, boring summer. Yeah. Um, you know, and then like marching goals was just like, just like fun skits. And I think this, you know, the sequencing of that album was so important. There was a lot of thought that went into the sequencing, you know, all the interludes in between Charlie laughing, uh, Jules from side by side, you know, that rip when he's talking about Luke going off to his own music. A lot of people <laughs> thought that was Siv, but that was Jules. And, you know, just like we had a lot of fun and there was a lot of creativity around that sequencing. And even even from the beginning, like there was just such a cool vibe about it because it was initially just like this little project thing. And once the whole thing with Marcos, like you said, was amazing because he literally pulled every favor from he worked in production for years 
and everyone in that video is friends of ours or someone's friend or family. And then just with the bands that were happening at that time and having Lou on the song and just, it just created this whole little vibe that people wanted to see the band. And, you know, we played our first shows, we're sick of it all. And like, um, just the whole beginning of it was like a very, like, it was just a cool time in that community of, of, of hardcore. It's, so yeah, really it's important to note too that like, that's when Green Bay and The Offspring just blew shit wide open. So yeah. we, didn't, we yeah. didn't start the band to be like, oh, cool, let's make a, it's time. Like, let's cash in on this. We just happened to sort of the, it's, it kind of came together and then Green Day and, and Offspring happened and all of a sudden punk or whatever it was, pop punk, post punk, whatever the fuck it's called, like there, people wanted it, you know? So we had, our song yeah. was a buzz clip on MTV. We were doing all these- It was on a lot. Like well, I remember uh, what it was on, it was on TV a lot. Yeah. And I, you know, I first had picked up the, just this seven inch, uh, the can't wait one minute more single. I remember being at, you know, the record store. Uh, and I had just known about gorilla biscuits. I never heard start today though. I had, I had the seven inch and then basically somehow I realized, Oh, this is like people from gorilla biscuits, but it's the new thing. And I remember feeling kind of like, oh, I'm getting in at the ground floor. Like, this is cool because, you know, it's new. And like the album wasn't even out yet then. Mm -hmm. I remember I had this and the, the classic Civ shirt with just the yellow, you know, lettering on the front and the Rev logo. And to me, this and, and the album, you mentioned Green Day. And it really did kind of bridge that gap for me between like the Green Day and stuff. Because I was, you know, 13, 14 years old when this came out. Yeah. And, you know, Green Day and I was into all the Bay Area, like the Lookout record stuff. But like I knew Youth of Today, I knew Gorilla Biscuits and Civ was just like a great doorway into the world of like Revelation and Hardcore. Because then I started to kind of go from there. And even on the inside of the record, it says like members play in records by, you know, Judge and, you know, all this stuff. Um, yeah. So it was, was cool. The and the timing was perfect. Yeah. And that was, I think, the thought was that if you know about Girl Biscuits, you're going to totally get this. And if you don't, you and you stumble upon it, it's pretty fucking good. So um, I just, it's cool looking back, thinking about that T-shirt and thinking about that seven inch, just the amount of like attention and care that went into that. Like that was like an art project in itself. We went to, oh yeah, that's awesome. But we went to like Royal Barber on St. Mark's Place mm -hmm. and we had, we set up this and we knew the, um, I think it was Eric, maybe it was the, bar, the barber there at the time and like, you know, we had this shoot set up with Toby and Siv and I think I'm in the background and like, and then there's the punk rock haircuts, $5 spot, which was also in the neighborhood and, you know, that, and, um, you know, just all the detail, like even going forward to the all twisted seven inch, like we were on the roof and our friend John Marcus, I think put that together with like the sheet of Mylar because you, you didn't have Photoshop back then you had to actually do it. So like Siv was like leaning over this sheet of Mylar and like his face is all distorted and, you know, each one of those things, Social Climber too, like they're all like little, you know, just art projects, you know, which. I never knew that this was Toby on the back until you said something. I never paid attention. <laughs> yeah. and I I'm have looking. a funny story. I have a funny story to interject about that. The, the punk rock haircuts. So last week I was up in, um, I was up in Woodstock and I uh, was walking down Tinker Street and there's a record store there. And I saw that they had this massive uh, black market clash poster. So I was like, I'm going to go in there. As I go up to the door, it framed punk rock haircuts, $5, that exact sign, right? 
So I walk in, I, I see the proprietor. And I said, is that the original sign from St. Mark's? And uh, he said, no, but he knew completely about it. He was an old New Yorker that moved up to, to, to Woodstock. He's like, no, it's not. But the person that, that, that made it and I got it from them, it's an incredible copy of it and whatnot. Because I just thought to myself, this would be amazing if I found that original one and then, you know, offered him to, to buy some money. But it, it's kind of funny that that sign, uh, I mean, he made no mention of our record. Whether he knew about it or not is it, it's, it's beyond me. And I certainly wasn't going to just bring it up. But it's just funny that that little sign is kind of a little bit of ephemera of a snapshot of New York in that early to mid nineties period. Like anybody who, if you live downtown, whether you thought it was funny or whatnot, it was, it was, you knew what that was like that, that, that was very much an, an in joke or, yeah. or just, yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was really funny that a week ago, no, a week ago yesterday, I was in, walking through the Woodstock with Caitlin and I was like, Oh my God. You know? That punk rock, haircut, that punk rock haircut place sucked. Actually, I went in there once. With a punk rock haircut, and it was all students. So there's one. There's this girl that was learning how to use uh, a straight edge razor, and she fucking cut the back of my neck. I remember it was just like I'm bleeding. You just like I was actually gonna say I was like because even then I remember being like five bucks for haircuts cheap, and that was in like 1995. You might get, you might get, you might get shanked. Dude, Dude, I, take, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna ask the the back photo too. It looks like. Sam, that you have something blurred out. Was that supposed to be like there's a gun there? It's a gun, bro. It's a gap. Yeah. That's how we strapped. Do it. You were so, strapped back then. Sam, you were talking about how everything was curated like an art project, and it definitely is. Um, what about the suits and being stylish and dressing up and making things more grandiose? Did you talk about that? What stage of the band did you start talking about that? I think that was Walter. I think Walter, wasn't that his idea? It probably was. I mean, I think the video is really what sparked the it. The video, because I remember Walter saying, "Guys, do you have you got to get mod suits?" And I was like, "Well, I got one." And and like we got to get dark suits and skinny black ties and just look like you know, like London '64. And That's you guys did a great job of that. I fucked it up. I, <laughs> I had a I had a, I had a like a Armani suit that like my dad had handed down to me. It was the only suit I had, and I wore that. <laughs> and it was just the wrong look. And I didn't look, I didn't look good in those kind of mod suits either. Like Arthur, you're skinny and tall, dude. You look, you always looked amazing. Arthur's got the Paul Weller down. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was, it was, an, it was an idea too of like, like, we're, like this is a band. Like let's look like a band. Like yeah. you look yeah. at the knack or you look, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. just something like, and, and, and also, to, you know, at that time it was kind of like, and, and, and I'll admit I was, Kind of not didn't go that to that degree, but just the huge, oversized, like in hardcore, like oversized shirts and then like the hockey jerseys and yeah. like that whole thing, like was not. Um, I was glad I was wearing Fred think, Perry's and you know the root of it too is probably just not wanting to repeat. You know, you want to grow in life and in music, and so It'd be different. We had just done Girl yeah. Biscuits, you know, and a bunch of other bands for years. So the idea was like, let's do this shit that we love. But let's do it with a twist, and and so that's kind of was like a lot of the inspiration, and even thinking of the artwork too. Like that was uh, this old friend of mine, Todd James Reese, who's an old graffiti writer, mm -hmm. an artist, and um, we tapped him to sort of put it together. And I remember it was like the initial idea was sort of like a uh, a men's magazine. We were gonna make like this men's magazine. It was gonna come, right. and we were gonna do these shoots, and we did a shoot at this like men's social club this kind of high-end one over by Gramercy Park. Wait, no, we did. We scouted that. We ended up doing, 
Okay, I think I'm getting 13. They get, get away confused now. But no, but yes, the initial idea that was to do this, like it was like a Playboy, like a men's magazine. It was going to be that kind of thing. And it, it, it was, you know, complex and it kind of evolved and devolved, but we ultimately landed on what we landed on. And, and that was, um, yeah, like a lot of what Tata put together. So we did a, did we do a photo shoot in a car and actually shoot? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that, that was, was somebody's car. It was like a 1960. What was it? I forgot. That we that was it. That was somebody's actual car. Who shot yeah, it? We were, in, we were in Tribeca too. We were in our uh, apartment. Maybe John Marcus. I okay. think Marcus shot it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the cover came that from. That was somebody. That was yeah. somebody's car. Yeah. Okay. So then, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's where the the cover was pulled from. That and then the picture of us with like kind of. Sibling of the car. Yeah. But, but the I, idea I, was just yeah, like worth pointing out too is that we were on tour in Europe. Our first tour we really did was in Europe. We went, we had an opportunity to go open for Sick of It All. H2O came, we toured with them. And in Europe, the CD came out and it was a, it was an old, it's a different cover. And oh yeah, we, we didn't like the cover and we we hit stop on it and we basically changed it. So there's a first CD cover. I don't know if there's vinyl of that, but it's like turquoise. And it has yeah. arrows on it, like hand-drawn arrows. Yeah. I saw that online. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> cool. So I don't remember that. Fun fact. I'll, yeah. So, oh, oh, hold on, Jason, because okay. I know where you're where you're going. I just okay. we're we're talking about um, with the with the like the layout and everything. Um, did you guys know that Rev was going to do the vinyl? Um, because that's that's why we're able to have this episode because Rev actually did the the vinyl like as a full catalog number you guys are one of i believe three records where the you know we're on a major label but rev got to do the vinyl where it had an actual catalog number so there's uh into another's uh seamless and quicksand manic compression um i don't think we knew i think it was just that the majors weren't pressing vinyl they were just it was the time where cds and that was it and you know knowing where we came from and our audience it was like let's do vinyl and rev was an obvious and how how can we work with rev too because that's our where we came from and that's our friend and um so i think that was probably just a conversation of the know, other thing was we if you remember we we insisted and, and jason was great jason flum was great and he agreed we insisted on having the rev logo on the back it was lava yeah. but we insisted on the rev logo in the back just again to to as an homage and to acknowledge that this is what we are and whatnot yeah, it was, so, it was, I don't remember the specifics of it, but it was just, it seemed like a natural outgrowth that, that Jordan would have done that, that they would have put that, they would have put out that vinyl. Totally. Yeah. I think There's... it's also just to back up a little bit too, it's worth pointing out that when, you know, Walter had the idea and we were like, yeah, we're doing this thing called Civ, it's going to be great. Like Civ, the dude, Anthony was not into it. You know, he didn't no. want to, he was like, great, but let's call it something else. Like, I don't want to have a band called Civ. And right. that- I remember what he said was so funny. He's huh. like, He's like, he's talking to me. He's like, smell. I'm gonna look like an asshole. He's like, what am I? I'm gonna. People are gonna be like, what do you think this is Bon Jovi? He's like, what if the band was named like Smell? I'm like, well, that name would kind of suck. But you know, that besides that, I mean, I knew what he was getting at. But I was just going with strictly for the aesthetics of sound. Of sound. I'm like, Smell is not a good sound. Civ is a good sound. Yeah. But, I think uh, we yeah, just made but, T-shirts and we're just like, okay, here you go. And it, it, it we just kind of pushed it through and it, it happened. But um, and I know Walter. Walter used like uh. Morrissey and Danzig, right? As like, yeah. be like, hey, these are like, you know, Morrissey at that point, you know, now he's turned into yeah. something else. But yeah. at that point, Morrissey was like a band, you know, that was when he had the classic lineup. 
yeah. uh, with Alan White and you know all those guys. Yeah, that was the, the initial idea of them. We're not <laughs> with Walter. Was like it'll be Sid. So anyone who knew, like Morrissey, anyone who knows Gorilla Biscuits will know who it is, and right off the bat know what the connection is. And then, yeah, once you make a collegiate letter SSD knockoff yeah. shirt, it's printed. Sorry, Sid. <laughs> <laughs> Were there other names floating around? He was so unhappy. (laughs) No, I don't think there was any other. Any contenders? I don't don't remember hearing us talking about any other names. And nobody nobody ever thought it was Roman numeral 104? All the time, especially in Europe. Especially in Europe. We got announced one time, I think it was in Seattle, and the guy announced, some radio host announcer's like, ladies and gentlemen, now, C-I-V. You know, like he just didn't add that it was Civ, and so. yeah, then we would make up. We would make up CIV. You know, carnal incantational virus. Whatever. Oh, funny. So I want. <laughs> I wanted to jump back and ask about the recording of the songs. Did Walter? Uh, was he in the studio with you? I mean, he produced it, but did he play on any of the actual songs? Yeah. 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 Okay. Absolutely. Funny okay. fact. Yeah. Actually, funny fact is that on on Etu Brute. I don't play, that's this one song I don't play bass on. Walter played bass on that because he oh, wrote okay. it, recorded it, and then he was showing it to me. And we were so pressed for time. And I was just like, you know what? The pace, the baseline you put down is perfect. And why are we wasting time? I, my ego isn't that big. Just so, yeah. He so Walter played, he did play on it, but he also did in Ed Tuberte, he's playing bass. That's oh, actually wow. something I wanted to bring up is like, I, I think, you know, it's pretty like well documented that Walter, you know, this started kind of from Walter's mind. He produced it, he wrote the songs. And there, you know, Arthur, you brought up not having an ego. Like, I think it's kind of cool that you guys, it doesn't seem like there's, like you were just cool going along with it and being like, yeah, Walter writes great songs. Like I'm gonna play them. Like it wasn't like, you know, it doesn't seem like you guys went into the studio then and started arguing with him about his arrangements and wanting to put down like, you know, well, I think we should do this. Was it think, easier you know, doing it that here, way then almost? Here's the thing just... though. Here, this is the way I look at it. And I think everybody agrees with me on this. Like, okay, so our goal is to have the best band possible, right? And it's mm-hmm. this whole thing about like, don't criticize something unless you have a solution, right? So my feeling with me was um, Walter's worst song is probably better than my best song. So what, what is best for the band? Then we just do what's, you know, that. Plus the other thing, and you guys back me up on this. Walter is, he has a, he has an idea, he has a vision and, and he, We'll say it, but then he, I know he gives me, and I know he did it with you guys too, an incredible amount of freedom to interpret it, like, yeah. you know, to write your parts and make it yours. And that's the whole thing is like, I wrote those bass lines and he just was laissez faire and let me. And I know that it sounds that way because of that. Because Sam, you played your drum, nobody can play those. And Charlie, nobody can play like you. So, I mean, we've never discussed this, but I'm assuming that you guys had that same experience too, where Walter will come in with a song, a structure, and it's there. And it's complete. So he's the songwriter, but then he allows you to put your stamp on it. That's at least yeah. A, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, we just it, it was not really an issue. It just flowed very naturally. We were just in, we were all in heavy creative mode and just like going down there every day, eating pizza and being creative, <laughs> having fun. So I remember I saying to Don Fury, I was like, this like Don had that that, that um, drum room, you know, a small room in the corner, it was like glass and closed thing, which I had replaced. That was I've the got drum some room. stories about that. And I, I remember saying to Don with this record, I was like, Don, because I'd already recorded now some other places. I started to learn a little bit what about what I was doing. I was like, I want to record my drums in not in that room. I want to do it in the main room. And like his mm. head almost exploded, like he just could not fucking believe it. But he embraced it, and um, 
I ended up doing, yeah, I did the drum tracks not in that little room, but which was played, different for me. I we played in that room because I remember when the light exploded. I remember the vomit. Was that that session? Shit, because I do remember yeah. recording outside the room. Maybe we did both, but I did throw up on myself one time because of the pizza. <laughs> And then one time I was playing in that little room and I, I, I there's a light bulb above the drums and I smashed that and I and they're all looking at you through the glass and it's like it looks like you know the drummer exploded. But <laughs> I wanted to ask with recording too, Arthur, are you aware of how many people in hardcore were like flipping out about the bass tone and like wanting to know the secrets of the bass tone on the record? And, and then it turned out like it was just this little amp. Is that? Is that true? Like, I feel like I remember um, hearing that. Like the bass tone, that's all, that's all Walter and Fury. Uh, that was their, it was the easiest thing in the world. It was a precision bass turned all the way up. And it was mainly, it was mainly recorded direct. And then I don't even know if I used an amplifier for that. No, dude, it was, it was the PV. It was the PV. There was a PV? That was the I joke that I heard. It was like a little I just watched this right? interview with Josh Homie on some documentary. Um, and he goes, you know, the secret, he's in a studio of all this awesome shit. And he's like, the secret to fucking everything is this stamp. And then he pulled out that little combo PV. It's like, uh, whatever. Was that it? it? Yeah. We also direct, we also, there were several tracks. So it was also direct with a preamp. And it was basically, I used two bases on that. It was that 73 precision base. And then I had a, the Custom Shop 51 reissue precision base that I used on two of the songs because I got it later in the, in the, that was the Mississippi. Uh, swamp Ash. Yeah, <laughs> Louisiana Swamp Ash. You used to call it Mississippi Mudwood. Swamp just basically take a precision bass, turn it all the way up, put a little bit of preamp in it, you equalize it on the board, and and that that was that was it. But I, I didn't know that, but that makes me feel good that you know. Yeah, I, like I remember tons of people being like, the the bass. I want to say like maybe even when they did like uh, and you know shout out to our friend Tim McMahon from Mouthpiece and uh, Search and Hands Tied. Maybe he can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that was the thing when they went to record the seven inch that they wanted that sieve uh lp bass tone cool. and then but to that's... find out that it was just like this little pv like sam <laughs> said was kind of rad like... yeah but the tone itself the final tone was all walter and fury really i mean it was like we all knew what we wanted but then it's just balancing those mids and that's what it is they pulled they pushed the mids on it and that's why it growls like that like and i you know that's what getty lee does too from okay. rush you, you, you push those mids but the, i mean the thing is you pretty much can't go very wrong if you're going to record with fender precision bass and you just turn it all the way up you just can't you can't you can't go wrong yeah and the that's horn, it i'm not going to talk the about horn dudes are uh, i can go on forever with this but <laughs> no, dan, the, uh, dan doolin hypno jam with dan from that quicksand track um dan and i forgot the other guys names, but they were in jeff i think yeah jeff skinner box yeah Okay. Um, those dudes all played on like marching goals. They came in. Um, I think there's another song. Isn't there a B side that's got horn on it too that Dan played on? The one with uh, you, uh, our friend, our Japanese friend, talking on it. Is that a horn? I don't know. I don't know if that has horn on it. Okay. I wanted to ask about the vocals. Was there a vocal track left for Siv from Walter, like Walter sings the hits? I don't know if it like, exists. In the same way, but I mean, you know, yeah. I think it was Walt. I'm sure Walter made guide guides for him, and then they worked. They tracked it together, and yeah, they were. Yeah, they, I mean, they worked a lot together. So I don't think there was. I think it was a little different process than yeah, what happened with it was. Lisa. It was a very different process from start today. Okay, extremely. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I'm thinking back now, and they were 
yeah, it was completely different. Because Star Today, I think Walter did a lot of the, the, the writing and, and, and the, the revising and editing for Set Your Goals as we were recording it. And that's why it was a very special process, where Star Today was written pretty much, with the exception of New Direction, but we went over this. But, um, but, but with, with, with this, I mean, he had the, the ideas, he had the structures and the basic, basic ideas, but it happened so fast, like Charlie and Sam said, it happened within a month that he, he was in like hyperspeed with the, with the editing and the revising. So he was kind of doing it on the fly. So he didn't make a demo of it the way he did with Star Today, which had been written over a longer period mm -hmm. of time. And so they, they were just like, we put down the music tracks and then it was just intensive with those two guys, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I would come in, during the vocal sessions. I would go crazy. I would just come and go because the bass tracks were done, and I would come and go and then be there for the backup vocals. And I lived over on, um, we were recording that. I lived right over on uh, on Forsyth Street, so it was like a seven minute walk. So it was just like, if you need me, how long? You know, what about a skip? How, how long, long am I? How long of a skip would it be? <laughs> Those long <laughs> legs. You, like you paid for pizza. I was gonna say he's, skip, he's tall, so walk. he'd get there in seven minutes. It'd take me fifteen. <laughs> it'd be like four and a half if I skip, ten if I moonwalk. <laughs> but yeah, we just like—I mean, it was definitely the funnest record I've ever made in my whole entire life. We laughed our blast. asses off. We did. Um, I have like secret recordings of Don Fury. I think somewhere I have a miniature cassette, <laughs> yes. and I brought that in because Don would have like you know just a couple nights, maybe have a couple drinks, and just catch him there. And it was just like. You know, there was this like local like. Remember that? Yeah, there's just a lot of funny stories that that happened during that record. And then we went to this dude, Michael Barbiero, um, mixed the record, and he mixed a lot of bigger records like uh, Guns and Roses, Appetite for Destruction, and this and that. And it sort of, you know, it's, I guess it kind of takes us into Thirteen Day Getaway because Michael Barbiero worked on Thirteen Day Getaway, also. But but he did say your. Oh shit! Wait a second. Did he do say your goals? Barbiera, or was it? Um, yes. Who was the other dude in Long Island that did Public Enemy stuff? <laughs> that was Barbiera. Thirteen Day, 30 day Getaway was Steve Thompson. Right. Was Thompson Barbiero? Right. Yeah, Barbiero. It says he it mixed at uh, Sabella Recording Studios by Michael Barbiero yes. and then mastered at Sterling Sound by George Marino, who's another big name. So Sabella Studios name. though is where Public Enemy recorded. Uh, it's on Long Island. The first album or the second album? Oh wow! Do you know what else? Do you know what else happened at that studio? That's legendary to this day. What? That's the studio. Where, that's the studio where Don Fury tried to swipe Walter's uh, dumplings from the Chinese food place, and Walter turned and he goes, <laughs> "Get your own dumplings, Donny Doodlebug." Oh man, a dump, a dump thief. But yeah, so that bar, so Barbiero mixed there, and then it just yeah, like. A lot of Italians, Cimarelli, yeah, Barbiero, and Marina. Hey, <laughs> forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> yeah, so that that studio in Long, that studio in Long Island is where Public Enemy. Like when we were there, I was just picking the guy's brain to tell me stories about that. And then also they talked about um, what was the Metallica record where he literally like sliced like the largest like kick drum. Justice for all. And then he said Barbiero said he's like you know he goes I'd have the mix all set up. And it would be ripping, and then Lars would walk in and say, "Hey, uh, what track is the bass on?" And he'd walk over to the bass track and just go, so I could take it down and walk out of the room. There's no bass on it. That's why I don't hear any bass on that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so many stories. But I do think that "Set Your Goals" is a really unique, weird 
sonic record. Like it just, because you have this combination of Don Fury's room and I think he might've had ADATs at the time coupled with, yeah, you yeah. know, Fancy Pants, Barbiero, like, and, you know, Atlantic Records money to be able to really enhance it. And I think it's, it just has, it's an interesting sounding record, I think, because- Also, I like, I always felt, I always felt that Don's, there's a certain, sometimes I love, sometimes I don't like it, but it has, a, there's like a certain like compression. Like there's like a, that's, that's the exactly word that what it is. Like, it's like compression, exactly. The tightness of it, so it's not like a big washy or yeah. So it can only do so heavy, heavy and tonal, but um, for those songs and for that record, it works awesome. Like when you listen to Manic Compression, the way that that quicksand, like that, the way the drums, it's a similar uh, tightness that mm -hmm. Don would get out of that studio. Yeah, like that was why I thought I thought for a long time that Manic Compression was done with Fury, which he did. A, couple tracks on it but not the whole thing because it has a similar well walter was working similar... on that record he was working on that record while we were doing the civ record so he, he actually had a joke because he would do the civ sessions and then stay there and they would do the matic compression together and so walter for that entire spring of 1995 didn't see sunlight and he was joking he's like i i've I've, I've I've evolved and now i'm like a sleeve stack when i go outside and if there's sunlight i'm not used to it because i live in the basement <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I remember because he was. He was very busy. And, busy. Yeah. and Sam and I would show up and we'd have to wake Don up many, many times. Yeah. <laughs> Don, was on, Don was on a different schedule than us. Yeah. <laughs> so when you guys did, when you guys did get out on the road, you know, obviously the people that are there, people that know Sick of It All, and and the bands that you're touring with, know Gorilla Biscuits. Was there a lot of pressure to like? do Gorilla Biscuit songs and were there a lot of people thinking that like you're a straight edge hardcore band and still kind of putting you in the in the box of you know at this point would have been like six seven years prior I think there's a couple, a couple people that like definitely it took them a while to understand can't wait anymore I mean I remember specifically talking to some European dude and he was he's just like you know I like uh Etu Butte is so good but I I can't wait one minute is such sellout song, you know, it's just like, all right. Oh yeah. They're always so, they, they don't hold back. Yeah, you know, so there was some of that, but like, I think what was really cool about it as far as touring and getting, and just making our mark was that first warp tour, we got asked to be on it, but we were on the side stage, which was literally a fucking truck. And so the main stage was doing its thing and it was great. And there was a lot of like our friends and, you know, uh, sick of it all was on at that time, a quick Santa orange nine millimeter. And there was some New York hardcore stuff happening along with L7 and sublime and, all this shit but um but our truck was fucking ripping so we would have just the time of day that we were on and with the momentum of the of the buzz clip and the record just being out there was just like a lot of excitement and it we were able to kind of create sort of like a hardcore atmosphere i guess in that within that warp tour with that truck and so i think that like just made it was it was nice for us because we were comfortable in that setting but it was also nice for our fans and, and friends and shit to just embrace that and i think you know the civs in the beginning like you want you want to have a good show so we would play girl biscuit songs not a lot but we did like you know sitting around at home or maybe new direction or maybe start today we did start today sitting around at home and i think new direction yeah yeah we did sit around at home new direction <laughs> uh no, no but it's just like no, we, it just helped bridge it because we wanted to have good shows but i think as time went on you know, pretty quickly, like people were digging set your goals and we were able to, to 
to, to focus on that. Yeah. yeah so when, we first went to Europe, when we first went to Europe, we played even a couple, maybe one or two more GB songs just because the record wasn't out yet um, initially, or in some places it wasn't. And also, why not? And we covered uh, uh, love, so love Song by the Damned. We covered that in, in London. Manchester. Oh, nice. We covered Manchester. We covered it in Manchester. That was my idea, and I thought it was a great idea, and then nobody got it. And I was like, okay, shitty idea. Wait, what other – do you guys remember what other G GB songs we play? We used to play? I can't remember. It's making me crazy. We played Mr. T song. I wish. <laughs> I wish we played the Mr. GM T song. GM, too. We played Hold Your Ground, and we played um, – Oh, yeah. Definitely played Hold Your Ground. Oh, I saw a set where uh, there was a lot of Youth of Today covers, the Hardcore for Hunger show. With uh, it was one of the first times Chrome Mags got back together, and I made the trip up for that. And there was a few Youth of Today songs played. Where was that? Interesting. In New York, I can't remember what the venue was though, because oh, was it at Tramps? Maybe so. Maybe so. Oh my God, Tramps! I love that club. And it was a Chrome Mags thing. That's it. It what was a long time ago. Songs? I can't break down the walls. Maybe we played Youth of Today songs. Jesus. Yeah, for sure. Some things I remember vividly, and other things are just gone. Okay. Who was the show at the limelight? Was that just our own show, or that? Oh, that was that was our own show. That was our first New York show. Yeah. No, that was that was sick of it all. H two O and and Civ. Right. So there's a picture nice. of Walter on guitar. Did he play the whole set on second guitar, or just come up for? Because then somebody else said, "Oh, I think he came up for like sitting around at home." No, no, he played the whole set a couple times. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had a question. What's going? through your mind when things are starting to blow up with the can't wait one minute more video you know it, it's it's it was a big video it got a lot of traction were you guys just thinking this is this is cool this is what we expected or was it uh it was fun because it was like new and it kind of like entered us into this new you know like um I, I think you, you're able to like really recognize the people that are not hard. The people that just heard are there for that one song. Like they'd almost like leave after that song was played. And I don't think, you know, we, I think we appreciated it. It was nice, but I don't know if it was like, it ever really got to our heads. I feel like we were kind of grounded in a way. And yeah, you saw it pretty quickly. Like those people that came are the same people that left pretty, pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. You know? yeah. But it, as yeah. far as experience, I remember being like on the warp tour and finding out like they're gonna play it they're gonna play the video and just being like because you know i felt like we put in work you know so it was like yeah awesome you know and i grew i grew up on mtv i'm like cool and then to this day marcos is like it's still a joke that i'm you can barely see me in the video but <laughs> yeah, we were still like you know the thing about that too is that we were still working with a lot of our friends so like trevor you know who managed sick of it all was working a nasty little man and we were tight with you know him, and then like and Shelby and Sheila and all the people. I love Shelby, man. And then you know, but also like there were we and even kind of knowing like Kennedy at MTV and just like sort of like having these, it just happened kind of natural, you know, where like we hosted 120 minutes and it just didn't, it just it, it, we just fucked around, you know, it was fun. It just it all, I think that and again like to go back to Green Day and the Offspring, the whole fucking scene was sort of happening i mean sick of it all inside to uh, electra or something or east west and um and into another i don't know if that was orange that. nine sign civ or not civ uh, you got, uh shelter with mantra was right. like so it was out. just like all kind of everything was sort of evolving and growing and changing at the same time and so it just 
it kind of felt natural. And to have a buzz clip and a song like that was was cool. The tricky part was what do you follow it up with? And that kind of what sort of stymied us a little bit. Like, I mean, we was talk of like, is the second single going to be set your goals or is it going to be choices made? And we ended up, you know, everybody said choices made. And we made a video for that with that dude, Mick G, who I just read the other day, bought a $15 million house in Malibu. <laughs> but um, he was awesome. our joke with Mick G was that he had made so many successful videos except ours. <laughs> That's a cool video. Yeah, see, I, I was amazed because to me that song should have been just as big, you know, as Can't Wait Woman or More. And I feel like if I don't I don't think it was a mistake because I'm thinking like if you chose the song Set Your Goals, people might say it's almost too similar to Can't Wait Woman or More. I don't know if that was like the vibe, like Choices Made showed a bit of a different side of, of the group because like, it's just a good melodic songs you yeah know, but it's, it doesn't have that like the what do they call it the bow wow wow beat right you know um <laughs> there are things that you can't like you can there's no science to it that's the thing it's you know it, i think it was the right second single too i mean i think i love the song set your goals but if you turn the thing about wait one minute more that a lot of people told me was this is the most annoying song i've ever heard i can't get it out of my head and for better or for worse that's what a pop song is you can't right. get the damn thing out of your head and I think that the the choices made chorus, it's melodic, it's great, it's it sticks, but it doesn't have that, it doesn't have that, I guess, uh, and this is value, value neutral, that annoying quality where it's just it's it's there forever. Who knows? I mean, that's just it. Nobody again, there's no science to it. Like why does something why does something resonate and then something else doesn't? You don't right. know, you know. But yeah. um, I mean it was it was fun and that video was great. And uh yeah, it's just uh then why did we go and make Social Climber? That was just like, did we go, was that recorded initially? Oh, we'll get no, to that. No, we did that after. <laughs> okay. We did that after. It was, um, I remember, yeah, no, Walter wrote that song. It's like, hey, let's just do a single. We, we were in between tours, if I remember correctly, and we ran to the studio and just recorded it really fast. Yeah. Yeah. So it was before we, uh, before we get to, to that one, I had a question too for the Set Your Goals era, um, is I have to ask, and I know I maybe brought up to you before, Sam, can you talk to me about playing with Kiss at Madison Square Garden? How, how that came about, and because um, that's I love Kiss, and I mean, that's part, so like, part of the backstory of all the Civ stuff is that we uh, Quicksand was managed by this guy Scott McGee, whose older brother is Doc McGee. Doc McGee is like a legend in right. rock and roll, and worked with like Molly Crew and Bon Jovi and all this shit. And it's, it's like he's a, a, so there's that. So when Civ happened, we got picked up by Scott McGee as well. So Scott was managing us and Orange 9 Millimeter and Quicksand and Skid Row. So that kind of got us into this like other sort of world a little bit. You know, we'd go up to the office and Sebastian Bach was there and like we kind of got like looped into this sort of just like other rock type thing that we would actually, um, you know, Snake from, Snake from Skid Row like has a studio. I think we went out there a few times. And then Mike Thompson, who was part of Skid Row's camp, was our sound man for a little bit. So we just like, there was all these like other connections to that. And they started managing KISS when, and Doc managed KISS when they came back. And I was a huge KISS fan. It was just, you know, the energy with KISS when they first came back was fucking awesome. They're back with the makeup. Yeah. Doing this, you know. Original lineup. Original lineup, original songs, like Ace was in the band, Peter, the whole shit. It's going to be great. And Charlie and I actually went down to the um, Intrepid where they had, had like the announcement and stuff. And then there was some event under the Brooklyn Bridge when they played. And it's like, we were just fucking in it. And then when they did their tour, 
they, I think the thinking was that it's all going to sell it anyway. Let's just have like kind of cool ish local, like emerging bands open. And um, so for the whole tour, like all these different bands were playing and we were lucky to get one of the New York dates um, at Madison Square Garden. And that was like 99, right? Or 97? 96. 96. And I heard it. I could be, this could be like the Mandela effect, but I feel like I remember reading in Sick of It All's book that they actually had asked Sick of It All and they couldn't or something. Uh -huh. Like they were on the short list of like, well, we can get this, you know, band from New York, whatever. Um, yeah, Degeneration. They did four nights at the Garden. Degeneration did one. I think 311 did one. We yeah. were actually, we were on the Warp Tour in Toronto or somewhere. Yeah. And we missed the Warp Tour date to fly home. And it, I mean, it just, when I think about it, it's so surreal. The whole thing seems like a dream. Like I go back to a, our apartment in a West Village where Walter and I live. I take the, the A train, you know, from West 4th up to Madison Square Garden to walk through this entrance with my guitar. Like the whole thing is totally I remember surreal. running around backstage with you, Charlie. Like we were all giddy and excited and nervous and shit. It was like, he's like, yeah, let's go get my guitar. We'll go warm up. Like, cool, let's go. We're like getting lost and like trying to find the stage. Yeah. And, we get there and all the lights are off and there's this huge fucking dude just sitting there like this union guy and Charlie's just walking. He's like, what are you doing? So I'm going to go get my guitar. It's right there. I'm going to warm up. I'm playing tonight. And uh, he goes, no, I can't. Dead stage. He's like, what? Like dead stage. He's like, well, my guitar is right there. I can see it. Like, can I just go get it? He's like, nope. He's like, can you get it for me? He's like, nope. Dead stage. Can't move it. You know, and so it's just like a union thing. Yeah. Wait for like a half an hour just like looking <laughs> at it until we could actually get his guitar and warm up. I got a I got a funny thing to interject about the kiss thing, and and um, I'll admit this now. Uh, we voted on on whether we're going to play it or not. I voted against because I was, I was like, I fucking hate kiss. I can't stand this. I got outvoted, and now in retrospect, I'm glad I got outvoted because one, it's such a cool story to tell, and two, growing up in New York and going to Madison Square Garden to see like Rangers games or to see concerts, and you know, it was like wow, that was my shot to play that venue. And thanks, guys. Thanks for outvoting me because we did. And it was very cool, Charlie. It was very, very surreal and weird. I remember, same thing here. I had my freaking, I had my jazz bass in my, on, my, on, my, on my gig bag and I got off the train at Penn Station too. I got off on the, the, uh, the IND 8th Avenue line and I just like walk up just trying to find the entrance because we all went separately because we were home. We flew home. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and uh, I, was, I, was, I was living up on 90, on, on uh, 88th Street, 81st Street, 81st Street, and East End, and I get on the freaking train and I get off, and it was just I was like, "Well, okay, I'm playing. My, that's I'm kind. Of, this is kind of cool. These guys outvoted me. We're playing Madison Square Garden." It's a good point, Arthur. That like you know the Rangers were coming out at that time to Can't Wait a Minute More, so we yeah, got played. Yeah. Everybody wanted to see Kiss. They're giving us the finger. They're booing us. We're playing these. <laughs> like, we play like State of Grace at Madison Square nice. Garden. You know, that's awesome though we're playing like hardcore songs I and the sound is like reverberating around it just sounds like, it's like tick, 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 tick. i have like, to say this though this like is when like we play camera minute more they fucking got it they, they really lost push. it we're good. Been, i have to give credit to here to Siv and and, and uh and, and uh what he did that night was a testament to what a front a front person can do he came out and uh they, i mean there were booze and, and 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 the epithets were thrown at us i remember and he came out he's like yo I know why you're here to see the mighty kiss. That's why I'm here too. We're here to warm you up. And he's just like, the Queen's accent came out so strong in him. He's like, we're from right over here. So like all these dumb meatheads that Siv and I grew up around in Queens, all of a sudden we're like, oh, from Queens. Anyway, and uh, 
he really won them over because we had heard stories about other bands getting like really getting shit thrown at them. And and I have to say this, once I got out there, I was like, man, if something gets thrown at me, not only are both my hands occupied, but with those lights, I won't see it coming. So right. I was so happy that he came out and, you know, just he just was really he humbled him. He humbled himself and the band and just he, he connected with like 15,000 people that were ready to hate anything that wasn't Kiss and just played yeah, up the and also- York thing. And and won and won and won them over. I wish there were a recording of that of that that show. That would have that would. Well, be I have a video cool. camera, right? I had a fancy pants video camera that I borrowed from a friend of mine, and I gave it to Steve Reddy that night to film the set. And I filmed some backstage stuff, which is pretty funny. But the, he Steve was going to film the set, but he didn't know that you just hit the fucking record button once, and then it records. So he's holding it down. So the whole <laughs> recording is stop, start, stop. Sorry. Oh, oh no. Yeah. I thought you were gonna um, say he yeah. left the lens cap on. Close. I mean, it's just really not good footage, but um I have some some scraps that are pretty funny. The backstage stuff's really funny. What uh, what's Sam was singing too, like the Can't Wait Minute More. So I think it was second period of Rangers games and they would hit the ice. They would play Can't Wait Minute More at, at the garden. Another person told me at Hartford Whalers games they used to play it a lot up in Connecticut. Played it at the Stanley oh. Cup and- I was watching the Stanley Cup sometime in the late 90s when Detroit was playing. The Stanley Cup in Detroit, and it was between periods, and they were playing Can't Wait Win More till that they day. They played it at the Big Apple Circus. Did they really? <laughs> no, and another, another, another fun fact, too, is it's actually on ESPN. used to do a CD called Jock Jams. So Jock Jams 2000, it's got you know Elvis Costello pump it up. It's got Blur Song 2, and Can't uh, Wait More is on the ESPN CD. Jock Jam, I think it's Jock Jam's 2000. Yeah, that's right. I guess I'm oh, just thinking about that other shit too. Is um, you know, part of the f- interesting thing about this too of just being, you know, hardcore kids really that we're now we're in this other world. And again, like it's happening to a lot of our friends and a lot of bands and this and that. But we were on Atlantic Lava Atlantic Records, so you get these strange opportunities. And um, that record was the one. So we got offered to be in uh, this video game road rash 2 which was like so fucking random and um you got to choose which band you can play the video game to and there's a photo of the band so you could pick us and there was like five or six songs that rotated or like sugar ray who were also on the label or you know maybe matchbox 20 or like whatever but that was just like bizarre you know and there's a couple of things like that that you know didn't happen to us back in the day when we were on revelation records like so it was just, I don't know, that was just like a very interesting um, experience. And it paid well, too. If I Wasn't there a Doritos guitar pick or something? <laughs> that was for 13-Day Getaway. Yeah, era. that might have been the second oh, we'll, record. We'll save that. Yeah. We'll save it was that. like, oh, we were like one day Escape from New York 2, the movie that came out. Like there was a soundtrack. And then our manager and our label, uh, Jason Fulman, were like, oh, yeah, you guys are on the soundtrack. Congratulations. We're like, all right, well, the, movie's, the movie's already done. Like, we're not in the movie. But, but yeah, you're on the soundtrack. It was just like, just well, major label shit, you know. And like, it was on. Com- right. It was in commercials as well, right? Uh, the second record actually, we did a lot of commercial. Oh, the first record later, we ended up doing this Nissan commercial. That's what I was going to ask about. Which was pretty fun. That was good. The year end, but, not, but not KFC, yeah. like Walter. Walter had mentioned uh, in hundred words or less. Did no KFC want GB or they wanted Siv? He said, I can't wait one minute more. That's finger looking good. Yeah, it was a, it was a good story. <laughs> Everyone should check out that podcast if they haven't heard it. Yeah. It was 100 words or less. Um, 
I wanted to ask, going back to the songs on Set Your Goals, was it intentional to leave a roadmap for hardcore? Because I think a lot of people got into hardcore through this record because you hear the Warzone shout, you have the Kraut cover, um, you have inside the liner notes that these bands played on, Gorilla Biscuits, Judge, Outface. Was that something intentional? Up. There's like yeah, a little kid. I think, kid it was, I think it, what was intentional was kind of having one foot in where we came from and one foot into this uncharted That's territory. So I think that was intentional of like, of and and it wasn't even for us. It's like we love this shit. Like that yeah. that jewels. You know, I want to see little. Like we were laughing for like forty eight hours straight about that. You know, thing. So it was like, of course, it's gonna be on the record. Um, you know, crowd was like. Uh, you know, it was Walter's call, but like, it's just a great fucking song and it totally makes sense. And it's where we came it fits from. fits on the record so and well. It, yeah, we needed a song like that. We needed a song, it was a, it's a different tempo, it's a different feel, um, great sing-along. And can, you know, he knows, I think he's really, one of the things that Walter can do is understand what Siv can really do well. And I think singing that song. So I think it was, yeah, a lot of it was just like having that foot in hardcore, having that foot into the future, and then also nodding back to the Sham 69 days yeah. and, and that kind of shit, which, you know, we're just fans of. And, and it's cool, all the imagery and the, and the music and the sounds. And one, and one thing that I love, one thing I appreciate, like looking back on it too, is, and just something that I found and I'm sure a lot of people find, like, it's an album, like, from oh, top yeah. to bottom. It's, just, it's I, I can think, I mean, there's not a lot of records that I really, really love that are, I mean, the ones that I love are, are like that. So there's a lot of records where it's just not, like it's quick, you know, the songs are, you know, a two minute song is a long song for hardcore punk or whatever you want to classify it as. But like, yeah, it was a lot of it was done with an, an homage to all the things that we were into and where we were going. But like when you look at the just the record from top to bottom, like it's, it's that cohesive. Yeah, it's yeah. completely cohesive. It's brilliant. And that's that's what you were saying before about the, the, uh, the sequencing, which um, yeah. again, I didn't. I, that's something I, I know. I know my weaknesses and I didn't touch the sequencing. I remember I was just, whatever you guys decide is, is, is fine, but it was done really well because there is a cohesion to the album. Absolutely. That's why I love watching I remember thinking like, I don't know if it was an issue with, I just remember being like, is this enough? Like, I don't even know what it times out is. Like, it's, is it even a half hour? Like, like, is this enough to qualify as an album for Atlantic Records or what? Probably like, why we got into Blessed and it's probably why we got into Glue was like, yeah, we right. need a little but more. But you know what's Isn't funny it on though? the CD? The CD list, because that was how I originally had it. The CD has 16 tracks, don't got to prove it being the last. And then there's like dead space after it. Yeah. And then there's Blessed. That was the compromise to including it. But I want to talk about don't got to prove it because it goes back to... um. What Charlie was just saying, is this long enough? So the album was written, and this also makes me think of, remember the story I told about how New Direction was an afterthought? It was not an afterthought, but it was it came at the end. I was living on Forsyth Street, and Walter called on the landline, because that's how we got communicated. Then he's like, hey, can you get over to, can you get over to Furies and bring your bass? Uh, I just wrote another song for the album. And so I, I, I trudged over with, with, with the 51 reissue P bass. And, uh, and, we, and, and this also just is a testament to how the record was written in contrast to the way that Star Today was written. It was like, Walter came up with this thing and he's like, again, it's a kind of like a, a blokey, shamish kind of sing-along thing. And I remember we did, we recorded it like in one take on the spot. And then I remember doing the background vocals, all of us. And Charlie, I remember you and I had had maybe one or two Guinnesses too many. 
And that's why, like, when you hear the background, you hear that anyone, you could totally tell that it's Charlie and me that are louder than everybody because I think we weren't modulating our voices because I think the Guinness is doing it for us. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, Don't Gotta Prove It was, was the last thing after the record was completed. Walter just kind of wrote this amazing, cool sing-along. And then I remember I wanted Blessed to be on it, which was an old Moondog song. And then I remember the compromise to include Blessed on it was that it's not listed. And then there's this this lag of a very long time and it comes on. And that was, was, was like the classic, thing, classic was 90s bonus CD bonus track. Was like yeah, it was very much, I think it was a thing at that time too. A lot of people were doing yeah. like this hidden track. And, so yeah. was, was there an electric, you know, was there a full band version of Don't Gotta Prove It recorded? Just live, you okay. know, just, yeah, just, just live. live version on the antimatter comp is killer. So yeah. it's cool that that's that standalone version of that song that's so catchy. And, you know, I think the other thing, just thinking about that time and touring, I was thinking of like warp tours, I was like, shit, what else did we do? But it was cool that, uh, I got an airplane flying over me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just the time like of, uh, flying in. Um, the time of the shit that was going on back then, like we would tour with like, uh, you know, Deftones were opening up for us. It was like us, Deftones and Smile, you know, or just like these very random, like, Music was in such a cool place in the mid nineties. You know, there was just, it was. Yeah, it was exciting to be a fan too. Yeah, we toured with the Toadies later and that just kind of yeah. made, just sort of made sense. Like it, it just worked. It wasn't, I mean, looking back, it seems a little strange, but it just all kind of worked. At I had a Moondog question um, with the with Blessed. Did anybody ever try to petition to do Distance? Because I yes. Siv, I think, could have done oh, yeah. a great. Wait, did, did we play that live? We played that live a bunch, didn't we, Charlie? I think we did. And Sam? We, did. we played that live a bunch in Europe on the first tour. Yeah. Okay. Yes, we did. Because that would have fit great, I, I thought. Like, because um, it's just that's such a great song, and it kind of it's that's really good... sort of a precursor to this record. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Distance is there, but there's so many versions of it too. That was ultimately it. I once asked Walter, like, why has this been not committed? He's like, I have so many versions of it, I don't even know what to do anymore. <laughs> yeah, because there's the one with like the reggae, reggae-ish breakdown that's in. I well, think, that was the not in the video. That one wasn't in the running. Walter would not have used that version. I can, I can speak, <laughs> I can speak for him on that. <laughs> the reggae that stuff made sense in like '91, GB Europe kind of times. Things started to get reggae. Better than you got bluesy, or no? Better than you was bluesy back in like '85, <laughs> but that's another podcast, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I guess, um, or Jason, did you have anything else before we get to? No, I think yeah, I think we covered everything okay. that I wanted to. So, um, Sam, Arthur, you know the deal. Charlie, it's your first time. I know uh, we do a thing called Hot Tracks, where we pick our favorite song on the record. You can pick it based on whatever you want, whatever based you on want. maybe this is the most fun to play or the most fun I remember writing or whatever. But uh, since you're the newest guest, I'm putting you on the hot seat first for your uh, hot track on Civ <laughs> Set Your Goals. Oh, man. That's a, that's a tough one. There's a couple, there's a couple different worlds. They're all good. Um, I would probably, go, I mean, just, just because I love to play, just live playing, I, I would just say do something is just, for me, the guitar part, I would have to go with that. Do something is my hot, hot, uh, hot track. 
And it's cool <laughs> the Gorilla Biscuits, when you guys play, do that song. And uh, yeah. it's always super fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, the, yeah, that little, that, that little mosh part is definitely, and then just seeing like so many bands actually kind of cover it and do it, you know, over the years. Yeah. And it's crazy that it's like it's on a major label record and it's just like super sick, short, under a minute. Hard yeah, yeah. Song. Just like right to it. Just get right to it. Crush Lips to Your Hands. I mean, uh, State of Grace. There's some fucking pretty ruthless hardcore songs. Yeah. Dude, the drums on State of Grace. It's fast. Yeah, I fucking actually wanted killer. to say that like this is some of my favorite drumming Thank uh, you. on record of yeah, your Sam. Like it's you just super air drummable. Yeah, we did this record to a click track, which um, that's what I was gonna ask. I'm wow. not really a fan of click tracks, you know, but I think given that we the songs were so new, yeah, um, and it just sort of made sense at the time, and it, it does lock it in. There's pros and cons to it, and I guess on the pro, it it locks it the whole fucking record to hear hardcore to a click, like bam, bam, it's like so fucking like it's fucking very very tight. Um, but my favorite track, my do I got a hot track? Yeah, yeah of course. go for it. Hot bun. Um, United Kids. United Kids, okay. I think that's I could have seen that being a single. If if there was a third single, yeah. I think that would that could have been a third single. Well, shit. <laughs> time. When, I, when I get the time machine, Jason, I'll hit you guys up. Yo. Jason, is it too late? That's Jason Plum. Okay. <laughs> I feel like Jason Flom gets credited to the um, the effect, the phaser factor on Can't Wait a Minute More. I think like he said, eh, do something crazy here to the engineer, to Barbiero. And it was like, you know, the- That phase, that phase fill is so good. Yeah, I th- I'm gonna give that to Jason Flom. Sounds <laughs> awesome, man. So well, speaking of Jason, how about we get Jason's, our Jason's hot it- track? Real quick dude. on Jason Flom, you guys should follow him. Anyone out there? He's a real cool dude. He's, I mean, he's it's, a great it's, dude, man. Insane music history, but he now pretty much devotes his time to uh, helping people that are in jail for the, the Innocence Project. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's the Innocence Project. And he also is, I love it that he's an, an unabashed and sincere promoter of uh, a, vegan, a vegan philosophy and lifestyle, too. Jason incredible journey and i'm very pro jason flom too so yeah, yeah maybe include his ig in this uh somewhere in the thing it's jason flom isn't it it's how do you spell flom jason? then f-l-o-m okay. oh yeah o-m yeah flom okay sweet he's definitely done he's definitely his journey has taken him to using his using his wealth and his um his renown for good things and the innocence project is an incredible incredible thing and then you know innocence and compassion extends beyond humans. So promoting the veganism to me is also just, it just completes it, completes the, uh, the whole. Um, Arthur, have you been to the Lava Records theme restaurant yet? I didn't even know such a thing existed. Yeah, they've got a Jason Flan as the dessert. Wait, it's just, you're, I, you're okay. You, I bit, I bit, you got me, you got me, you got me. <laughs> well, let's hear, your, let's hear your hot track before I do mine. I did mine. What's yours? Yeah, Jay- no, 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 no. Hold on. I, 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 yeah, well, oh, Jason, give his. This was hard because there's a lot of good songs on this record, and the album does flow awesome start to finish. So I gotta name check some songs before I give my hot track. But uh, soundtrack to violence, just being a 30 second kind of ripper, wow. is that's an awesome song. 
And then the lyrics yeah. to So Far, So Good, So What are awesome. On this listen in 2021, Boring Summer fucking rules. That's a great, great song. song. It just has an awesome Is that your hot track? feel. It's not my hot track because after Boring Summer. I'm just going to name every record, on, every song on the record. Dude, record. I'm telling you my thought process because I put a lot of thought into this one. This was hard. After Boring Summer, you get hit with Etu Brute. It's one of That's the fucking best hardcore songs. That's the hot track. Great, Jason. Cool. So your, your favorite song is the one I don't play on. Cool. I got it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Don't worry. <laughs> it so, so, yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll have you go last. We'll save the save uh, someone that's not me or Jason for last. Um, so I, like I said earlier, I felt so much like I was getting in at the ground level, which was exciting. Like, because Gorilla Biscuits was old to me. You know, at, at in 95, when you're only 14, 1989 is a lifetime ago. So it was like, you know, kind of cool to be like in the moment, have something current. And I remember, you know, I loved the seven inch. I bought this and a t- the t-shirt. And then I went to the store the day the CD came out and I was wearing the t-shirt, I must say, which felt funny. And I just remember playing the hell out of this album so much that summer uh, before I went into freshman year. And just really identifying with a lot of the lyrics um, and just love the vibe, uh, you know. Um, but my favorite is Solid Bond. I think that uh, it's like a perfect hardcore song. And that breakdown is so good. Yeah, and it's a groove. That's definitely one of my favorite breakdowns. And the, the lyrics time. are great. It's a groove. It's not yeah. really a mosh as much as it's a groove. Yeah, yeah. the lyrics are great. And um you just like I said, very nostalgic. Anytime I put this on, it just kind of takes me back to my early high school years. I love those lyrics too. What's your what's your hot buns, buddy? <laughs> Mine? Yeah. Oh, what I mean, and I and my last because I can never, never even possibly do a hundred words or less. Um, all right. Very briefly, if you had asked me this when the record came out, it would have been blessed but I was an angry and hostile human then, and I'm not that anymore. Um, you guys are making it hard. You know, I was going to go, absolutely go with, uh, I was going to go with um, Set Your Goals, but in the end, it's got to be, it's between two. It's between United Kids, because it's just a great sing-along with an incredible breakdown at the end, and I got to have a lot of fun on the bass with it, but then Don't Gotta Prove It. Again, another, like, sing-along and I guess, I guess it's going to have to be United Kids because part of what I love about Don't Gotta Prove It is the joy I felt when we recorded it that day. And I will never forget all of us sitting, five of us in the studio with Fury, just having so much fun and having this feeling that we were doing something very cool and that some very interesting and exciting days were ahead of us. But yeah, okay, so that's the long answer. Short answer has got to be, yeah, I'm going to go with United Kids as well. Everything about that, like it's got great, great guitar parts the drums of course because sam that record making that record you made me a better bass player uh and made me like just seriously just i i that's that's for another time and place but yeah united kids great sing-along every all of us did a great job on our instruments and uh and it's just a good message Agreed. it's a good, good message yeah as our own javier would say about this direct oh i don't know what he said but i'm saying Using his words, I say there's no skippers on this. Like you put it on, right on. and you just let it play Thank all the you. way through. Um, and it really, like, it's a tough thing, I think, to follow up a record like Start Today, even though this is a different band. You know, it's still in that shadow. And I thought 
the this album did such a good job of stepping out of that shadow and being its own thing and being able to kind of exist in its own world and not just being like, oh, this is the, some guys from Gorilla Biscuits and this is technically the second Gorilla Biscuits album. It's like its own deal. I was, Jason saying Etu Brute just reminded me, my frame of reference at the time I heard this was so small. I remember being like, the breakdown sounds like Rage Against the Machine. Like that was like my, like the hardest thing I think I'd heard at that point. Uh, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's which isn't. We love Rage Against the Machine. I love Rage Against the Machine. But, yeah, um, it was just funny to think that like that's where my mind uh, went because at that point, you know, I wasn't super familiar with the the hardcore. I think, I think a way to look at this record vis-a-vis Start Today is a relay race. So there's this relay race, and there's one runner, and he gives he gives the baton to another runner, and this is the runner that got the baton from Start Today. I think is so. You can't, they can't win the race without each other, but they're two individuals, you know, going for the same thing, I suppose. And there is my really, really terrible metaphor. So, no way, it's like an egg on a spoon, like an egg on a spoon race. You know, you got the egg on the spoon, you're trying to do it. <laughs> but also, like, uh, I think for people, and initially, even for myself, like playing like at two, like the beginning, like just the seven inch, so you have Can't Wait Win It More, which has that very like. 80s, you know, bow wow wow, Adam Ant reference with the drums, and then Etu Brute is minor threat, like metalized and just yeah. brutality at the end. So it was such a; those are the two. That's what kids got. Like you got that, and you got boom. And what's, boom. And what's cool it's about like the, that too is that, that that set the tone for whatever we do moving forward. We have a little more freedom. Like we can fuck in this fuck around in this world. Or we can fuck around in this world. You know, like. And I think yeah. that's what so your goals. The album ended up being an extension of that seven inch was just Absolutely. like, Absolutely. you know, that seven inch was a microcosm. I think of, of what the entire album ended up being. Yeah. Cause and honestly, like, I think we all love, love hardcore, but like one, I think one of the issues is sometimes you can't really deviate too far from where you're at. You know, if it's judge, bring it down or Chromag's age of quarrel or start today, it's like, it's really hard to like, make some sharp musical artistic turns, right? It kind of has to, typically has to happen sort of gradually. And so what was cool about this new band, Civ, was that we can do a song like, it's just us acoustic with tambourines playing, don't gotta prove it. Or, you know, it's this minute long hardcore song or it's a pop song, so far so good. Or, you know, we, we were allowed to do a lot of yeah, shit. You, you set the rules early on, like yeah. that there were no rules basically. Yeah, some people like got it and some people kind of, it took them a minute, but you know. It's also, I kind of forgot about, I kind of forgot about Boring Summer. Like that's just a rocker. I mean, that's like Sex Pistols pace. Like, I think I have a hot lead on that song. Like I'm not really- You got a great lead on that song. Guitar guitar solo guy, but like, that's like, that's, you know, and that's a thing too. That and and, um, and United Kids, like those are just, those are just rocking songs. And also, and Walter was just like spitting gold. with those lyrics too, with like uh, just so many like you think you're stepping out, but you're standing in line. Like just so many one-liners and um, just amazing little little nuggets of gold in there. Like little yeah, life lessons. Yeah, and everybody's performance. I said this before. You know, I mean, Sam, I already, I already kind of, uh, you know, uh, saying a panegyric to you, but Charlie, your guitar playing on it. Every single, there's not like one shit note. There isn't one wasted 
note on there and there's no there's no ostentation with it either like and that's one of the things i love about united kids and um is that uh the melody is just the melody is in that in that solo it's just they're smart solos they're really really smart solos that's that's I think that's the other thing about the record too that we can actually play, you know. Well, thinking about the guitars, Arthur, which is intro, which is interesting, is that looking back, I mean, you guys have all both grown a lot since then. But at the time, like your power, Charlie, was you had a lot of powers, but one was you were just just sick fucking chops. Like you could do this chugga 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 metal stuff that you know really wasn't Walter's forte. So like in Gang Opinion, for example, locking in on some of that stuff was just like your world. And I think you know Walter. Yeah, and like, you know, Walter ripping like that solo on United Kids, which is a real, like, I think, kind of Cure-inspired, right? Wait, I thought Walter did the solo on United I mean, I, think, I thought Charlie did the solo on United Kids. I think Walter did that one. Really? I think, I think so. he, Yeah, I think his ended up being the one. Oh, but just, right. you guys both really complimented each other, I guess is what I'm getting. Yeah. I, still yeah, I, think think he, I love it. I don't care. I love your guitar playing, Charlie. <laughs> Love you guys, man. Love you, Charlie. So that's a that's a good place, I think, for us to uh, end end on start uh, start today. Oh my God! Come uh, on, man. Freudian <laughs> <Freddy and> slip. Hal's <laughs> <laughs> not going to edit this part out either. Uh, to end <laughs> on set your goals. So thank you very much, guys. Hey, thank um, you. This is called. I can't wait one minute. Thank more. you. Before we get too deep into uh, talking about the record set your goals, I, I think I need to mention that the band set your goals. Um, Matt Wilson, the singer of set your goals was in a terrible car accident and broke his back. And just like last week, and he's going to have a long road of recovery and uh, just Keep him in your thoughts if you're a fan of uh, the, the band Set Your Goals or if you're a fan of hardcore kids and um, whatever. Matt Wilson is... Uh, if you're not a fan, be a good person. Yeah, re- you some go. good thoughts. Matt's a like, really nice guy, he, um, a, known, he, a known international gigger, and yeah. uh, he could use some support right now. So just want yeah, to... Yeah, I saw the, the, the footage, and I follow him on social media. I saw yeah. the footed the he posted a picture of his car the car i mean it, he's honestly lucky to to be where he like it looked bad so definitely you know send your good vibes if you're a praying person pray you know hit maybe even just drop him a line just to say you're you know thinking of him or whatever uh because it's got to be super traumatic and you know, like Hav said, he's got a long road ahead of him. So, yeah, yeah. And Matt actually also sings for a band called near dark that my dear friend, Eric Pressman is in 
and Keith from, I think, uh, Fixation. I think Keith was in Fixation. And it sounds like the Saves the Day demo. So if you've never heard Near Dark, I suggest checking that out. But anyway, uh, to, to get on to Civ, set your goals. To be honest, I don't have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this. Um, I don't want to be super negative about it, but I'm going to just put out there that this record didn't really hold up for me. Uh, I listened to it last week and I it also, it could be because of the compression of streaming. I will, I will say that, but it sounded a bit flat. Uh, I didn't hear a lot of bass in it. Uh, it, and it sounded like there was a kind of like a lot of effects on it and it could be a product of the time. Like I said, it could be a uh, Spotify compression. It's not the best way to listen to things, but also musically, this just didn't hold my attention as well in 2001. But what I will say, I'm going to throw a, a, there's this technique for um, when you have to coach someone, it's called a sandwich technique. Are you familiar with okay. this technique? No, not. tell me, but I love sandwiches. It goes, <laughs> it goes compliment, criticism, compliment, or as we used to say, high five, uppercut, high five. Nice. Right. So I kind of actually gave you an open face sandwich. I gave you the, the criticism first, but the compliment that I will give is that I appreciate what these guys were doing and that they set out to do something different. They didn't just make start today part two, which everyone was expecting. Yeah. I was. Right. Everyone was expecting a hardcore record. And these guys came out with fucking like bowling shirts with flames on them and creepers and slick back hair. And they really did their own thing. And they, uh, they stuck true to what their influences were at the time, right? Which were what, like the jam squeeze, maybe stuff like that. Am I, am I right? in, in, in well, they, they, in the, uh, you know, when we talked to them, it came up like, and Walter has said, like, I know uh, in the all ages book interview talking about Siv, he said it was like trying to combine sham 69 and minor threat. Yeah. And they have a lot of those songs like like, you know, with the we, we called it during the interview, the bow, wow, wow. You know, I want candy beat like Black Train Jack did that a lot, too. Um, and they just had this catchy, uh, catchy songs. I mean, I love the record. But again, like I talked about in the interview, like I was 14 when it came out and it was like the perfect um, the perfect bridge between the pop punk stuff I loved and this new world of like revelation and New York hardcore. It was like, if you think about it in those terms for someone, like I was at the perfect time for that record. Yeah. Like if I was already listening to start today and already listening to New York hardcore and I, I don't know, maybe I would have thought of it differently, but I don't know because a good song is a good song. And I just think the songwriting on it is top notch. I mean, it's, it's Walter and uh, it sounds great. Yeah. I will say that I agree. Like the the when you guys mentioned the production, like I never really thought about it before, which is funny because I'm the one that's always like this was produced by so and so and this, and um, it was it came. I had it come on after 
I might've even told you guys in our group chat, like I was listening to the shades apart, um, seeing things album, which is later on. That's like rev 57 or whatever. And that was done at blasting room with bill and Stefan from descendants and just sounds fantastic. Cause you know, those guys really know how to make a record. And then this came on and it was kind of jarring the difference in production which is normal because they weren't done at the same place, but I could definitely hear the, that the compression kind of stuck out a lot more than maybe it would have just on its own. And like Hav said, I mean, it was on Spotify. Maybe it was just the way it is on Spotify. Um, my vinyl sounded fine, but. Yeah. just It's a little dated. The compression is a little dated, kind of puts it in that mid nineties. Also, think, uh, you know, looking at Discogs, came out in 95 and then it was pressed by rev again in 2013 2013 2014 2015 2016 i wonder if they did anything on that repress like and, a remaster and, or something right and the audio that's on streaming now is from that 2013 version and not the 1995 version huh I, I don't think so. What's weird is that the what's on Spotify is the discography. Right. Right. And that's so that was actually done by Equal Vision. So I don't know if that has a, a different mastering. That's very true. I don't, I don't own that CD. I never did because I own so that came out in 2009 on Equal Vision. Uh double CD, which is pretty crazy. Um there's no notes on Discogs really about it at all. Yeah. Uh, so I remember like being tempted to get it thinking like, oh, if, and that's why I think the podcast is cool because I wanted like a written word version of the pot. Like I was like, oh, maybe if it comes with like a cool, like booklet with a bunch yeah. of anecdotes and notes. But from what I gather, it was just in this digipack, two CDs. And that was it. Like there was nothing extra. Mm. So I never got it. It looks like there's some demo stuff on the discography. I don't know if that's on other CDs. Nope. It's yeah. not. Yeah. So, so basically, to Equal Vision. Uh-huh. The, the Set Your Goals on CD had everything up to the song Blessed. And Blessed was a bonus track. It wasn't even listed. Then Glue was only on the vinyl uh-huh. for, for the Rev vinyl. Uh-huh. So the... Equal Vision CD was the first time Glue was on CD officially. And uh-huh. then the Social Climber was only ever on 7-inch. Um, that demo stuff, yeah, that I don't think that was anywhere. So it really is it, it really is a complete discography. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, what are you going to do, you know? Uh, I got one thing I wanted to add. Yeah. Just that Siv is a great singer fully charismatic yes. and uh was great a huge part man. of this band we didn't really talk about that too much um yeah, and well, also if we would have talked to Siv, i would have let him know that yeah yeah it's true <laughs> but I, it is worth pointing out though and also that when Siv the band was playing shows and i went to go see them everyone was just yelling gorilla biscuit songs yeah and i don't think they were truly appreciating how good the band Siv was and how yeah. good these songs were yeah. And uh, I if, regret that. If Siv, if this these guys got together right now and made this record, I don't think that people would be shouting out, sitting around at home. 
yeah. they start today. Yeah. It'd be like, oh, these guys are in a new band right now, and this is what it sounds like. Yeah. Because yeah. Drew, because people aren't sharding, shouting, sharding, shouting sharding. out. People aren't sharding. People aren't sharding out uh, gold <laughs> songs when uh, Judas Knife is playing. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Or into yeah. another song. It, oh, it's a different school of thought, too. I think it's a well, different school of I, thought now in 2021 that it was in the, in the yes. mid-90s. Yeah, and sure. I think X members held such a huge, you know, held all these expectations for fans of those bands. But I think now in 2021. But that's because, that's because not. the reunion circuit is completely packed with reunions. Yeah. So back then, much like we'll talk about with Better Than a Thousand in a couple months, uh-huh. This was like the closest that you got to Gorilla Biscuits. If oh, you yeah. missed, if you missed Gorilla Biscuits, if you didn't see Gorilla Biscuits, Civ was that was the closest you got that maybe they'd play a song, but it's at least some of the same people and Correct. sort of yeah. the same style, you know. Yeah. And but yeah, you know no, how, I I agree yeah. by the way with Civ and I uh the Civ the man and the talent because I think a lot of times it does get a little bit lost that like, you know, Walter wrote the songs exactly. and Walter wrote the lyrics and that's all fine and good. But Siv was the one kind of like bringing it to life. And there's a lot of bands where the singers may not write the lyrics, but with a different singer, it's not going to work. So yeah. Yeah. Props to him for sure. And I did reach out to Walter to see if that was him saying one, two, three, four on the song, set your goals. And that is, that is him making a vocal appearance. Nice. All right. Nice. Uh, Jason, what do we got next Yo. time? Oh, shit. Let me pull out your list here. Next week, we are talking about Poison Fingers, the Poison Fingers 7-inch by Into Another. Revelation Records number 42. I can't wait to talk to those guys. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon. And don't forget to, I don't know, have a great day or something. Whatever. Bit of bow. <laughs> <laughs> what's up everybody this is javier from the where it went podcast just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top tier patrons billy tonnell bram hubble brandon gavel brian skiffington brooklyn cesar falcon chad kiplinger cliche john david palmer dirk focused greg jackson jeremy holohan john cowell quiet keith maddie cox nate of head to wall fame rob moran ryan walker tim Shear. Siren Records and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. Remember, if you want to see how you can help us out, please go to www.wherewinpodcast.com. And uh, I guess we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.